Do you believe God is sovereign? We sometimes, sometimes in my house we say he's super sovereign because things happen. It's just when we see it because he's always sovereign and we're just not seeing it and all of a sudden we see it. Well, um, I was minding my own business preparing for the sermon today and all of a sudden this tune began welling up in my heart. It was 142. I didn't even really know it was all the words, but I looked it up. Right? My wife knows all the tunes and words and so I began singing a little bit to her. She says, that's 142. Okay, so <laughs> I looked through and I said, well, this is, I'm going to be preaching on the love of God, loving God, loving the brethren. One there is above all others, well deserves the name of friend. His is love beyond a brother's costly, free and knows no end. And you sang the rest of the hymn. And then part of my message will be about the fact that our works before God are accepted in Christ. I mean, do we really keep his commandments? I mean, it seems like we really don't keep his commandments because Jesus kept his commandments, but we really don't. But he says we keep his commandments. And so here it says, in the beloved, accepted and I. And that's where our, our works are accepted. In the beloved. He washes all of our best prayers with his blood and they're accepted. So uh, he is super sovereign. I didn't definitely pick the second one. <laughs> My dear wife did. So she actually picks the hymns. I do lead the singing. Why doesn't the hymn leader leading the singing pick the hymns it's just something she has a gift for and if she has a gift and she has some time to do that that's why she picks them so pray for her as well we are in the uh, third chapter of first john if you will turn there and I want to go ahead and pray at the beginning because my introduction is rather long uh, to the verses we'll be preaching on today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do marvel that you love us, that you have given the son of your love for us. And Lord, we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, Lord. Lord, you know our sins are many. And Lord, we thank you that we want to be done with them. We want to be rid of them, and we thank you that you have cast them from yourself so far as the east is from the west. You've placed them under the deepest of the oceans. And Lord, you remember them no more. We do ask you, Lord, to guide us now in your word. Because it is your word, Lord. And you have so ordained that we can see the face of Jesus in your words. And so we ask you to guide us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> Let me read the, wor- the verses we're going to focus on. I have to read a couple of verses before them. And then we're going to read the whole context of those verses So um, if you'll begin reading with me, uh, verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And then the three verses I intend to focus on. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that, we, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now did you notice in those last three verses that there are four things that he ties to the keeping of the commandments? In verse 22, he ties our prayer or our praying to the commandments. In verse 23, he ties our believing and our loving to the commandments. And then in verse 24, he ties our abiding uh, in the Spirit, abiding in him by the Spirit to his commandments. So to get the greater context, we have to go back to chapter 3, verse 1. I gave some context to those verses, but the greater context is in verse 1 of chapter 3 where it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now the result of this love is that we're called children of God, but I don't want to overlook that word manner. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. This is an otherworldly love. This is a love that the world does not know, cannot love, can, cannot love in, and only God has. It is of him. God is love. He imparts this to us, but none of us have the infinite love of God. And so let's think about this manner, and I can't do any better than to quote out of a book that was given to me by one of the dear beloved brethren here. Uh, it is uh, a book that was... See here, did I get all my notes? I did not. Book written by Robert Hawker, a man accused of thinking of Jesus too much. So um, I hope we're all accused of that someday. Um, it says, this is out of his uh, uh, poor man's morning and evening. And he's commenting on 1 John 4.16 that says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Here's what he says. Who hath known and believed in terms equal to the greatness of mercy itself, the love of God to the poor sinner? God's love must be an infinite love. And consequently, the display of it must be infinite also. And I think he's referring to the cross, an infinite display of his love. We are told God commendeth his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Had God loved and delighted in saints that loved him, this would have been love. Had God taken the holy angels into a nearer acquaintance with him, this would have been love. But when he raised beggars from the dunghill and took rebels from the prison to sit upon his throne, and at a time when his justice would have been magnified in their destruction, 
to prefer sinners, haters of God, and despisers of his grace to bring them into the closest and nearest connection with him in the person of his dear son, and all this by such a wonderful plan of mercy as the incarnation and the death of Jesus, who hath ever calculated the extent of such grace. So you see why I'm wanting to read this, what manner of love. It's just a four-letter word, right? We all use it. We love ice cubes, right? No, this is an infinite, glorious love that is beyond comprehension. He, he tells us in the book of Ephesians that we should, we should be trying to, lo- to think of the breadth and height and depth and the love of God that passes knowledge. We're to try to know that. And so here we're trying to consider this. He says, who hath thoroughly known and considered or believed in any degree proportion to the unspeakableness of the salvation, the love that God hath to us. Have any of us ever even come close to comprehending this manner of love? Then he says, O Lord, add one blessing more. Cause my cold heart to grow warm in the contemplation of it, and let it be my happiness to be daily studying the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of God which passes knowledge that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so these are Paul's words that he's quoting, but they're God's words to us that this is our life's journey. Lord, I just want to know your love more. And as we read our passages so that we might love him more and that we might love one another more. So as we go to the passage, so let us be considering now these four things that we are to be tied to the commandments of God. Let's read the verses. He says, and whatever, verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So you see those four things tied to the commandments of God. So, I could read through verses of, uh, one through all the way down, but you, you saw the near context as I began reading in verse th- th- 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And as we commit, consider verse 22 initially, we must actually think about um, the verses, two verses before it that we preached on last time that we were in First John together. It says in verse 24, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And this is in a context of we have an assurance from God that we are Christians. He'd already told us uh, back there in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You know, we, we talk about an acid test or a litmus test. I love the brethren. Where'd that come from? Oh, I was born again. You know, (laughs) this is a marvelous thing. I mean, 
if you really doubt your salvation, you said, man, I really doubt my salvation, but I love the brethren. God's putting the question out of the question. You better go back and understand where did that love come from? Because if you weren't born again, you would not love the brethren. You would not want to see their blessings, their rejoice in their, their blessings and pray for them and, and attend church with them. You're not trusting this, I understand. You're trusting the blood of Christ. You're trusting that he died for you. You're not trusting your loving the brethren, but he says, oh, by the way, <laughs> you love the brethren because you were born again. And so that's why we do love them. And so we're assuring our hearts. But there's this thing that comes, this condemnation can come in, but I've sinned. I've, I've not really loved him as I should. God knows all things. He knows that you have given your life to Christ. He knows you're trusting in Christ and these, these things can keep coming in upon us. If you had a sin that you've professed and con you've confessed it to God, and it keeps rolling in. Well, are you supposed to confess it for the 17th time? Well, Hebrews tells us that if you really understand that the blood of Christ has been shed for you, it's cleansed you from an evil conscience, a conscience from those dead works that will keep you from serving. And what if Paul thought all the time, but I murdered Christians. How can I write this book? But I murdered Christians. How can I help establish this one? Well, here's a, here's a Christian in front of me. I'm to love him. No, oh, but I killed Christians. Well, he never was proud of killing Christians, but if you read his testimonies, he said he wasted the church, but he doesn't go into great detail there. He knows his mind has been, his life has been washed. He's now free to serve God. God is not holding this over him, though the devil might. And these sins you've confessed, they keep coming back to you. Please understand, they are washed. Remember 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We don't love the sin more because we've confessed it. We hate it, but we go on. We can go on. God's not holding us back and we, we need not be condemned for that sin. But what about sins I have committed in this week and I haven't gotten reconciliation? Well, the Lord knows our hearts. He's able to work that out. And then in verse 20, it says, for if our heart condemned, Beloved, verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And we looked at this in the last message in two ways. We looked at it first from our justification. Really, the only way you can have true confidence before God is that Jesus Christ has forgiven you and he has justified you. He has pronounced you righteous, not to pay you for your faith, but through faith. And God says, you are uncondemned. Remember Paul after crying out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank the Lord through Jesus Christ. Then he, then he says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have confidence for God because we are justified. But then how about through our sanctification? We really do desire to keep the commandments. I mean, that is our goal in life. I mean, we're never proud that we've done anything, I hope. We give all the glory to God, but God sees our seeking to do this. He watches over us and he, he realizes that our weaknesses are not what we want to walk in. We want to walk in him and we want to love the brethren. And so we have a confidence that this is what he's put in our hearts. And so then it says in verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. 
You see, they're tied, this is tied together to your confidence before God. Remember over in James, it says, if we don't have confidence in what we're praying, we're, not doubt, we're praying with doubting. He says, you're not going to receive what you doubted. God, I don't trust you in this prayer that I'm praying. No, we trust God that he gives us, and this is an astounding statement, whatever we ask, we receive from him. And then the devil says, well, what about this person you prayed for and they, they died of this cancer? Well, you don't know all that God did do when they were dying for that cancer. Maybe they came to Christ during that time. Maybe family members around them came to him. And you received more than you thought you received. And so I think what this is talking about is the very things that we walk in day by day. Lord, I want to walk in you today. And yes, I've failed you at the end of the day, but Lord, I did seek to walk in you. And I received help from you. I mean, how did I even make it to the end of the day? It was all through your grace. It wasn't through my power. It was through you. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So what does this mean? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, let's think about what it does not mean. It does not mean that somehow we earn the privilege of having our prayers heard by the Lord. Lord, I've kept your commandments, so now you are bound legally to, to answer my prayers. No, this privilege was solely earned by our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his death flung heaven's doors wide open so that we could enter through his blood. We approach through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We are reconciled to God by the death of his son, not through our works. Well, if it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him, for we do not keep his commandments, and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. These things are linked together. We keep his commandments, and those are the things that are pleasing in his sight. Remember, we are his children. He accepts our efforts to serve him in Christ. John 8, 29 says, He that sent me is with me. He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So Jesus, we know he always did those things that please him, but John says, you always do those things that please him. Seems like there's a lot of mercy and grace there. Well, that's what it is. God is accepting you as his child. And he receives our efforts, though imperfect, as they are because we are his children. And we are seeking to keep his commandments. And we are those who seek to do what is pleasing in his sight. He is defining what a Christian is. This is our new nature. Did you, I mean, as a young Christian, did you ever pray, Lord, make me like Jesus? I mean, that's what he says. He's, he's promised to make us like his son. Well, we're, we're to pray the, the commandments of God. And if you pray, the, if it, we're to pray the promises of God. And if you pray the promises, guess what? You're going to receive what you've asked because you, you've asked according to his will. If you refer over to chapter five of the same book, that we receive what we ask because we ask according to his will. It's not, well, should I buy this car or this car? Well, God can give you the wisdom to know which one. Or <laughs> it's not sin in either one, just choose. But you ask according to the promise. 
make me like Jesus, God's going to do that. It may be by very hard roads. It may be in ways you would never have ordained. And I use that expression, I hope, reverently. I would never have ordained this particular outcome or this particular process. But thank you, Lord. You know how to take, take that divine chisel because you're knocking off everything that's not Jesus. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's prolonged. But you're, you're doing it. So are we sinlessly perfect in this? No. Are we watering down what it is to keep his commandments? Certainly not. We're seeking to follow the Lord in all that he has said, and we are repenting in all that we do fail. We dare not deceive ourselves. We must be those who are always seeking to keep his commandments, treasuring those commandments, preserving them, not casting them off as saying they're not important. And we're keeping those commandments, and he is about answering our prayers. Now, there is a book uh, that was written by Samuel Bolton entitled True Bounds of Christian Freedom. It's one we ordinarily have on the, on the book table. If we don't, I'm sure we can get it replaced. But he, he says several things important. He says, regarding sin, he says, there may be the turbulence, but not the prevalence of sin. Sin always disturbs us. Chapter 1 of this very book, it says this, is, this could derail your fellowship with God. Don't sin. Don't continue in sin. But not the prevalence. It's not going to prevail. It's not going to be your master. Romans 6 says we're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. Okay, Bolton also says the gospel admits of repentance, but the law will not own it. The law looks for exact obedience in every jot and tittle. For this rigid obedience has God freed. From this rigid obedience, God has freed the believer. Instead of universal, actual obedience, God is pleased to accept of universal, habitual obedience, as we find it written. Then I, This is in Psalm 19.6. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Though there may be failing of action, yet there is truth of affection. You get what he's saying? You failed in that action, but your affection is for the Lord, and you wished you had not done that. You want to have done otherwise. God can own this. In the gospel, God accepts affections for actions, Endeavors for performance, desire for ability. A Christian is made up of desires or mournings, thirstings and bewailings. Oh, that my ways were directed. And this is Bolton crying out. Oh, that my ways were directed. Oh, miserable man that I am. Here is gospel perfection. Not according to the law, but according to the gospel. We are perfect in Christ. Let me reiterate, God accepts affections for actions, endeavors for performance, desire for ability. May I bring a simple, simple illustration from the accent past. One time we lived in a trailer. I call it the palace because Jesus met with us there. And there was, Daniel had his own bedroom, small as it was, but he had his own. And here's this bed, and he had this, he had this yellow toy box. I don't know how this boy could do it, but he could get every toy out on the floor. So when you open the door, you could barely step in there. You might fall down. 
And so I said, Daniel, we need you to clean up your room. He's only about two years old. You need you to clean up your room. Well, I didn't send him in there and shut the door. I'd go in there with him. And he'd get, pick up that first block and he'd throw it in there. We have a cheering section. Oh, man, you got it. Threw a block in. Well, I'd, I'd throw in five. And he'd throw in another block. And I'd throw in five. And get the whole thing cleaned up. And I gave him all the credit. So I'm like, how you cleaned up your room? You know, hug him and kiss him. And, and this is something what God does. <laughs> I mean, whatever we seek to do, the Lord Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So if you got anything done, it's because Jesus helped you do it. Without me, you can do nothing. And also, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Not perfect, but I can do it through him. And God accepts it in him. Where else? So, Bolton also says, a weak Christian and a strong Christ shall be able to do all. What a Savior. Now, to further understand the fact that the Lord hears our prayers, he, he, we receive everything we ask because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We think of Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5. Listen to these words Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Get this promise. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. One brother said, your desires are your prayers. God hears all these desires. You're delighting in him, and he gives them to you. He answers your prayer. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. Precious promises. Precious way to pray. And so here is this. The prayer. Your praying is tied to the commandments. And as you're praying. You pray to walk in those commandments. And you do those commandments. And you do those things that are pleasing in the sight. And God is the one who says this. None of us are going to be proud and say look what I did. It's look what Jesus did. And is doing. So let us consider now, in the next verse, two actually tied together. It says in verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. It's interesting how he ties this together. You've been listening to Brother Andrew preach, and he's mentioned in the book of Psalms, there is this chiastic or chiastic a structure that God has where he says something and then he says something else and says something else, but then he repeats and kind of goes up to an apex and comes down. Well, you have commandment on one side, commandment on the other, and inside of this, he packages these two things. But notice he calls it a commandment. Do you not find this interesting? He's been talking about the commandments in verse 22, and then again in verse 24, the commandments, but in verse 20. In verse 24, commandments, but verse 23, the commandment. But he mentions two things. Very interesting. So let's consider the first of this commandment, which I call the gateway commandment. In other words, every other commandment follows that. If you're not a believer, you'll never keep the commandments of God, right? But if you are a believer, you have 
you, you keep, can keep this commandment to believe on the name of the Son of God and, be, and, and love the brethren. It's like the first commandment is tied to the second. It's like only believers can love. Well, if you're going to love, you've got to believe. I think it was Brother Tom recently talked about this sin of unbelief. <laughs> that every sin we ever commit, you back it up and there's some unbelief somewhere along the lines. And so <clears throat> we, we have this commandment. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of of his son Jesus Christ. Now when it says believing on the name this is Christ himself. It's not believing on something outside of Christ. His name is not outside of him. God has given him the name which is above every name that is the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. You read that in Philippians chapter 2 where it speaks of his humbling himself and dying and giving himself even to the death of the cross for our sins being born of a virgin, taking upon himself human flesh, he humbled himself. And because he died in such a way, and because he is what he is, he has the name above every name. It tells us over in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that God has given no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's in the name of Christ that we are saved. It's his authority. When you mention the name of Jesus, you're talking about a person who has divine authority and we believe on the name of the Son of God. We're commanded to do that. Isn't it amazing how what we're commanded to do on the first day is what we're commanded to do every day. The last chapter of this book in verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I've written this so that you might believe and that you might continue to believe. This word believe, and I love the way God did this. He wrote the Bible over thousands of years by about 40 authors, and those authors each have a different personality. And John, in in his writing of the Gospel of John, chose to use a form of the word believe uh, uh, 25 times uh, in all his writings. Um, excuse me, back up. We've got to check. 111 times in all his writings, 101 times in the Gospel of John. And then that compares in Matthew 11 in Matthew, 17 in Mark, and 10 in Luke. Now these 101 times in John there are four chapters in which it's mentioned 25 times. That's three through six. Let me read you just a few of those. John 3, 14 and 15 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel in two verses and the promise of those who believe in him. And then, of course, John 3.16 comes right after that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in in the name of the only begotten son of God. You see the contrast, believers, and unbelievers, and you know the promises therein. 
John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So, you see a very, very important essential commandment is to believe on the Son, and we're commanded to continue to believe in him. Uh, you, you listen in, in John six thirty five when he says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, understand that we have a present tense in English. The present tense in Greek is called the present continuing tense. And what it's saying here in John uh, Jesus is saying in John 6.35, he who comes to me and keeps on coming to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me and keeps on believing in me shall never thirst. So hence the commandment. Believe. Believe today. Keep believing. Believe on and on. In everything believe. It tells us in Hebrews that we should be, he warns us of an evil heart of unbelief. He's talking to believers. Don't be unbelieving. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So <laughs> aren't you glad the commandments are not grievous? <laughs> uh, Brother Tom you know, talks about the commandments are from a loving God. Uh, I think I need to mention to you that uh, some years back in a men's Bible study, uh, we listened to uh, Sinclair Ferguson teach through the, uh, his book on the whole Christ. If you don't have that book, it's a good one to have on your bookshelf. And, and he quotes Gerhardus Voss, who was a seminary professor at, uh, at Westminster Seminary. And he defined legalism in a way I hadn't seen, but which I never want to forget. He said legalism is separating the commandment of God from the loving God who gave it. So I'm just going to obey God. Christians can do this. We can be legalists. I am going to obey God today. And you forget it is God who commanded you to pray. It's God who has commanded you to believe, to love, to abide. It's from him. It's your link with him. The commandment is him speaking. It's him revealing himself. Remember the commandments are about what God is. He is those Ten Commandments. He is all the commandments of God. Jesus Christ then walked in them. So we have this privilege of coming to these commandments and then by grace obeying them. So we have this gateway commandment here, believing. But notice what's tied to it. He says, and this is his commandment, that we believe, should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, you know, how many times does God have to say something for us to get it? It seems like this commandment, he says a lot. Maybe it's because we have trouble doing this. Wouldn't you like to think there was never such thing as a church split and you'd have to have someone define it for you? Paul talks about biblical church splits. He says, I'm, I'm not surprised that there are divisions among you because God sometimes sends a false teaching in the midst of the church to see who's going to walk with God and who is not. That's a biblical church split. 
But everything outside of that is not. And you, say, you look at the book of the Corinthian church. You read through that book and <laughs> how many church splits could have occurred by any one of those problems in that church and they hadn't split yet. And Paul didn't say you need, to, you need to disband or split something. We should be able to work through grave and difficult problems. And by the grace of God, this church has worked through some grave and difficult problems. And we have not had a church split since 1983. Forty years. Founders Conference started in 1983. And here we are 40 years later. My prayer is we will never know a church split till Jesus comes. Have you ever heard of the 100 years prayer meeting that the Moravians had? Not a, good, not a bad thing to have, right? The Moravians continued in prayer meetings for 100 straight years. Too bad they didn't. <laughs> you know, we'd like to let's start the, a prayer meeting that goes on for more than that. And so here we are commanded to love one another. What a sweet command. He gave his life for us. He showed us. He laid down his life for the brethren. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And we're commanded in this very passage also to lay down our lives. If we see our brother have need, we can't shut up our bowels of compassion. We have that bias. It is not ours. As Francis Havergal, our sister, said in her hymn, we hold it for the giver. Everything we have is his. They said in the book of Acts, our houses are not our own. They took your house, your house is mine. They burned your house down, you have a house, come. Yes, we'll be crowded, wonderful. We'll live with it, we'll love it. It'll be a joy. And so what a privilege it is we have to love him. This is what he has commanded. And then finally, in, chapter, in, in verse 24, we'll see this abiding tied to his commandments. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, a definition, a statement. And he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. But the blessed Holy Spirit is spoken of here. This book speaks of the Father, Son, and now of the Spirit. He referred to the Spirit earlier about this unction that we have, this anointing we have, and we know all things. Well, we don't really know everything, but we know everything we need to know by the Spirit who's shown us Christ. He's shown us our sins. He's shown us we need to walk with him. We know all those things by the Spirit. And it says, and this is his commandment that we should believe on Excuse me. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And so it ties our being abiding in him with the commandments. That's what we are. We're those who keep the commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And in so doing, we are living in him. To do them, to walk in them, we must live in him. You cannot do them without him. And so we're commanded to abide in him, but we do this in keeping the commandments and walking in them. We're not earning this. This is just his definition, his statement. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now there's objective truth and there is subjective truth here. The objective truth is he says you abide in him by keeping the commandments. That's his statement. But now we know experientially 
that we are abiding in him by the spirit whom he has given us. There's something of the spirit testifying in our hearts. It's not a, it's not a voice from heaven. It's this recognition that this love I have is coming from some other source. I'm loving people that, are not, that have sinned against me. I'm loving people that the world doesn't love them. And I don't love them as much as I should, but I love them and there's, that, that God is ministering to me. The fruit of the Spirit is being born in my life. How does the fruit of the Spirit ever born in my life? We think about the fruit of the Spirit. We read that in Galatians uh, chapter 5. Don't want to misquote it or leave any of the fruit out. Fruit of the Spirit. So he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now if you say, I've never known any of those and I never wanted those in here and I couldn't, I'd feel out of place if I had those, you probably need to be born again. But because you're born again, you do love the brethren. You have a joy from the Lord. Yes, happiness goes up and down, but even in your sorrow, there's a joy in Christ. It tells us from the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do you get through some things? It's God helping you. It's His joy, the joy of Christ, of eternal life in Him. For Jesus, the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, and we, our eyes are upon Him who had that joy, and we have joy in Him. On and on, the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God as he's working in us. He's enlightening us. We understand a passage of scripture. Where'd that come from? It's only by the illumination of the spirit of God. You're convicted of a sin. Glory to God. I didn't worry about that sin as a lost person. I was trying to commit that sin. And now I must put it from me. I'm abiding in him by his spirit. And so you see how these four things are tied so clearly and closely to the commandments of God. Commandments that he's given. A loving God is now having us pray. Answering our prayers. He's having us and commanding us to believe. And he's the author of that faith, right? He is the, the gift of faith came from him. He's commanding us to love with the love that he has, for he is love. And we look to him for that grace. And we continue to abide in him as we seek to keep the commandments. It's all his, his work. If you are here and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus, I hope you're thinking about this gateway. He didn't say, if you'll start loving me, I'll save you. You don't love him. He says, if you simply believe on Jesus Christ, the name of the Son of God, you trust that he is able to save someone as hardened as you, whose heart is not what it should be, and you cast yourself upon him, he will save you. As you are. He doesn't want you to get in an ante room and kind of clean up and then come to me. He says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Look now. Look immediately. 
Look while you still have breath. This is your opportunity to look on the Lord Jesus Christ because you may not have tomorrow. There was a seven-year-old girl in this church. You all know Abby Northcutt. I don't know if you know Abby. She could bound up to you and she'd put that hand up like this and shake your hand and look you in the eye. And she was converted about the age of four. Her parents said she walked out of her bedroom and said, the Lord saved me. I remember the Wednesday night we were over here. And if you've ever been to Wednesday night prayer meeting over there, this one child prays for the bobo that their dog has. We pray for the bobo. And we're going around the room and I always wait and get all the prayers. But then Abby was this, she was kind of proud that she was the oldest of the triplets. And she, she asked this prayer. She said, pray that I will be happy in Jesus. We stopped and prayed right then. We didn't wait to go around the circle. We prayed that she would be happy in Jesus. God took her at the age of seven. She'd had something, a shunt in her brain as a child that usually you grow up and just absorb and you live a normal life. But there's a possibility that that shunt could fail and within 20 hours you'll probably be dead and that happened to her. And you know the grief of the parents, the grief of a church, and there was actually a tract written based upon her called She Was Only Seven. And that tract states that how much she loved Jesus more than some older saints that the tract writer had known. So I say that to you here who think you have another day. If you've heard the gospel today, Jesus, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. One of these days, today you must look. You're being bid to look to Christ. You've heard that Jesus dies for sinners. You've heard that he saves anyone that comes to him. Go back and read John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he that comes to me, I'll no wise cast out. He's not saying how good you can get and then I'll save you. Come. Come as a sinner. Come as you are today. And he will save you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the risen, exalted Lord Jesus. We thank you that from heaven he commands every one of our blessings. And he's commanded that we would have this Holy Spirit abiding in us forever to instruct us and teach us and comfort us, to direct us, guide us, and convict us. Heavenly Father, you know we need you. We have a week before us that is bigger than we are. The trials of it are great. The temptations will come, and Lord, we need you to help us flee from those temptations. We need you to help us, Lord, to walk with you. What a privilege. We ask you, Lord, to help us and to guide us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.